Okay, a few people. Okay, I am shocked by how many people drove by Robert Bordner. They didn't even know that there was a change to the front. Not to call anybody out or anything. But uh, <laughs> but we uh, did a wonderful work day yesterday um, cleaning up the front of the facility. That's one of four that we're going to have this summer. So uh, keep your eyes and ears um, out there. July 9th is the next work Saturday. So anybody that can come out and help out, it'd be wonderful. Uh, the more backs, the better. Um, mine's a little sore right now, but uh, it was a wonderful time. And really, the reason for the big cleanup is somebody powerfully convicted our hearts about, I guess, a month ago, month and a half ago now. He came by, and a gentleman, and he said, Scott, um, I don't know if you guys are open or closed for business. And, and you can respond to something one of two ways to a statement like that. You can get angry and say, how dare he say that? Or you can say, you know what? That tree is covering that door. Those bushes are overgrown. That sign's letterings are falling off. And it looks terrible. And that's what we did. We, we owned it. And so we're cleaning things up. And so we got the front cleaned out. We're going to do the side cleaned out. And I don't know if you've noticed back there yet, but you'll definitely notice when you go back to take communion today that the island has been moved thanks to a very generous anonymous person who helped us out with that. And we got that island moved to the side over there. So now we have even greater room to expand and take communion because communion got bunched up back there when we've been doing it. And so it's just been amazing to have all these things done. So next July 9th, if you want to join in on that, please, we'd love to have you. We have a huge praise. So we've had a parsonage, and the parsonage was definitely not um, benefiting our church because pastors to stay in a parsonage, we get hit really hard with what's called an unpaid tax benefit. And so Jeffrey and I didn't know about that, and I lived in the parsonage for a while, and then we got our tax statement, and we're like, ouch, and then he got his statement, and ouch, and so we're like, hey, we really don't need a parsonage, plus we're looking to move, well, the elders and everyone has just kind of talked about, you know, hey, our facility isn't really working for us, and so we're having to do two different services in different settings and everything, we're nice to have a facility that we can incorporate all that we're doing and trying the direction we're going, and so um, we put the parsonage up for sale. That was six days ago. It is sold. It closes July 29th. Okay, so you know when just God does crazy stuff like that, and you're like, okay, Lord, we're, we're, we're trying to keep up with you. Well, we need some help. We need you, you are our eyes and ears in the community. And so um, if you hear of, like, land out there that would need probably three to five acres, somewhere in that range, um, if you hear land, flat land would be preferable. Um, and our two things that's visible and identifiable is like how to find it and get to it. If you hear of land out there, please tell Paul McNally, raise your hand. Hi, Paul. Paul's right there. Or myself um, that, hey, I found this land and you guys might want to go check it out. Because sometimes we found out a lot of stuff goes on in this community and it's like never put on the market. It just kind of happens to change hands. And, you know, if we could do that, we would love to be a part of that and, and go where God is leading us. So some great, exciting things are happening. Amen. Sometimes as elders, we do truly feel like we're just trying to keep up with what God's doing. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun and a little bit um, daunting sometimes, but God's power and his grace and his spirit is more than sufficient for us. Amen. All right, take out those Bibles. Matthew 23, we're diving into this this morning. Matthew chapter 23. We're going to read through this text, and I'm going to warn you, this is, this is going to be a heavy one. And when we get done feeling this, you might feel a little bit of weight, but we're going to talk about that before we dive in. Starting in Matthew chapter 23, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. Verses 1 through 15 of Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. 
So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have, you are not to be called rabbi for you are all brothers. And call no man I should have brought my readers this morning. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. And neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the tough passages. Lord God, that we've got to really dive into and look at all of Scripture and wrestle with in order to understand. Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, we would not real we would not be burdened as the Pharisees burdened, but we might understand that by the power of the Holy Spirit, give us the ability to live the life that you've called us to. And Father, this morning. I know sometimes when we read a passage of scripture like this in my own heart, sometimes, Lord, I, I want to block and I want to put up walls and I want to put up barriers and I want to say, you know, I don't like what that says, so I'm just not going to listen. And Father, I pray that you would challenge all of our hearts to open them up to you this morning, that the Holy Spirit would work in us and that we would desire to truly know and understand and live out the meaning of this text in our lives. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This passage is is a is a interesting one. How many of you this morning when reading through this passage kind of felt the weight of that? Yeah, you folks, real heavy burden as you're reading through this. I want to begin in a place of, of understanding that whatever Jesus Christ calls us to in the scriptures, he gives us the Holy Spirit to live that out. And so we've got to begin there this morning that what Christ is calling the crowds and his disciples to do, he has given them, he's going to give them, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the ability to live it, the ability to obey it. So the call upon our hearts this morning as we look through this and we wrestle with this, it's going to get hard, it's going to get heavy, and it's going to get convicting. But because of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to live this, and we do not feel like we need to bear this burden alone, or it's a burden we cannot lift up without the power of the Holy Spirit. So 
But without the Holy Spirit, we can't. But with the Holy Spirit, we can. So let's dive into this together. I want to thank Mike Moore before we get started for doing a great job last week. Um, it was a um, an eventful week. Christy and I got away. We went to APX training, which is the new weightlifting model and powerlifting model for the school system. Um, and we've never been so sore in our lives. Um, and then we camped out with mom and dad for a couple of days during Father's Day. We got to spend Father's Day with dad this week. Um, which we, I, I think it's been 15 years, at least 15 years, since Justin and my brother and all of us were together for Father's Day. So it was, it was, it was fun and enjoyable um, as we got to spend that time together as a family. So Mike ended last week with chapter 2. In the close of chapter 2, it says, And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare ask him any more questions. So this in-your-face kind of interaction between the Pharisees and the scribes and Jesus starts to go away and subside. And so whether or not the Pharisees left after that conversation, and it's just Jesus and the crowds right now, we don't know. But we do know that at the verse 1 of 23, it says, Then Jesus said, and this is kind of the things that we can gloss over sometimes when we're studying the Word of God. But it's important to know the audience of Jesus' message. The audience of Jesus' message is the crowds and the the disciples. Now, the crowds are this picture of an indifferent people. They like Jesus' miracles. They want to see him perform more miracles. They're in awe and amazement of his teaching. He speaks with authority like no one else. I mean, and so they've they're just got this big question mark over their heads about who Jesus Christ is. And that may be some of you this morning. Some of you may be part of that crowd group that are here with us, and we are so glad you're here, and you are still got this big question mark in your mind and in your heart about who Jesus Christ is. And this is a safe place for you to come and be here and be present to learn about who he is, and we're glad you're here. Thanks for coming. And then there's the disciples. These are the folks that Jesus has called out to be his faithful followers who are still learning what it is to faithfully follow Jesus. We know by the stories and the gospels that the disciples are struggling to do this well, right? Jesus' statements to them, oh, you have little faith. Jesus' statement to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Those are probably some good indications that they're growing and developing in their faith, right? Maybe just a little bit. And so as we look at the audience of the crowds, we need to honor the audience of Jesus' message. We understand that this is who Jesus is driving it so that they might understand what Jesus is calling them to, to live as kingdom people. And he does so with a pretty, what we consider, negative context. He's going to target the Pharisees and the scribes. And before we get up on our high horse, and we want to just look down at the Pharisees and the scribes and say what horrible people they were, I challenge you to look at yourself a little bit as we go through this text and realize that we've been a lot like more like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes in our lives sometimes than we have been like Jesus. So it says here in verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So what this means is the scribes and the Pharisees sit upon the teaching seat, the place of authority, the place from which people would have sat in order to deliver a message from the law of God. Moses' seat was a place of teaching and authority. So these people have been appointed to sit upon the seat and teach. And as long as they keep teaching what law the Moses had intended them to know and learn from the law, then they're teaching correctly and they should be heard. And Jesus says, hey, listen to them and do what they tell you to do. Because what's coming out of their mouth is accurate according to the law. Now, this is the catch. 
Jesus goes on to say, though, but don't do what they do. Because in putting layman's terms, they don't practice what they preach. There are people that come up on a, on a Sunday or back then Saturday morning and they delivered a good message and then they went out and their heart was filled with pride and arrogance and a heart that wasn't for God but was against God and opposed God and God's plan for his people. Because who are they opposing? Jesus Christ. Any opposition to Jesus Christ and why he came is opposing God's plan. And so here they were, preaching and teaching what they were supposed to preach and teach, but it was not changing their own hearts and lives. That is a very scary place to be. To proclaim something about the word of God, the truth of God, but it not change your heart. And that's where the Pharisees and the scribes were. They were saying the right things. They were proclaiming the right things, but it had not changed their heart and lives. And that is exemplified in the following verses as Jesus condemns their practices. Verse 4, he accuses them of tying up heavy burdens and placing them upon the people. Weights, heavy weight, a burden of, of doing all these things and doing all these things, but not un, helping them to understand that God had given them the ability to live the way he had called them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. And so I'm going to have to have you, Annalise. I forgot to fix the computer up. So if you would go to the next slide. Sweet. Thank you. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Okay? So what they're doing is for the other people's praise, other people's adoration, glory from others. They do all their deeds to be seen by others who make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. There's a nice religious terminology wouldn't you love it around if we walked around saying phylacteries all the time right nobody'd understand what we're talking about right well to give you an understanding here what, what's being spoken of by jesus in the old testament god commanded the israelites to bind the law upon their their hearts and their minds and so what they did quite, quite literally and this is oftentimes what the jews struggled with was taking okay God, what was he meaning by that? Well, you're supposed to know the law. You're supposed to abide by the law. You're supposed to live it out. Well, what do they do? They take and create this little leather pouch. And they, this little leather pouch had little strings to it. And they would tie this leather pouch around their head or they'd bind it upon their arm. And in this leather pouch, they would stick scripture inside of it. Okay? Well, the pharisees and the scribes they went to the leather maker and they said i want mine extra large okay and and i want mine to like i want to barely be able to see because i you know what everybody it's all about them seeing me and i'm going to be able to put and when people see this large leather pouch they're going to go wow there's a lot of scripture in there and they must be really holy people well, the way they're dressing themselves, and it talks about their prayer shawl. So the fringes is talking about their prayer shawl that they would put over themselves. And on the end of the prayer shawl, you may have seen them are like little fingers, like a normal, like a scarf. If you make a scarf, sometimes on the end of the scarf, there's little fringes that are hanging down, right? Well, theirs were extra long because they're extra holy, right? They're extra righteous people. And so when they put their shawl on, all the, the layman over here, he's looking, oh, well, wow, I'm not, as, I'm not as a good person as him because look what he's wearing. And they, they wanted this. They wanted other people to see how holy and how righteous they were. They wanted other people to sing their praises and say, look how big their, their phylactery is. Wow, phylactery, you know? And look, look how long their fringes are. They must be a holy people. And their dress 
was so that other people would recognize them and give them praise. And as, as Glenn and I were talking about this week, that was we were kind of puzzled, like how in the world do we translate to that to today? Because you don't see many people walking around with prayer shawls and flactories tied on their heads and arms, do you? You just don't see that very much. But one thing that we can see, and sometimes is addressed, I think, in wrong ways in churches as people gather together, is, is how we even dress on a Sunday morning. And there's, there's kind of two extremes, right? There's the person who loves to wear a three-piece suit, a shirt, and a tie, and a jacket. And let me tell you something. If you love wearing that and you feel like, man, God's called me to wear that, and I want to go to wear that to church and worship God, praise be to God. But the minute you put on that three-piece suit and you're looking in the mirror going, they are going to know how much I love Jesus by me wearing this suit. Because I'm going to be sweating a whole lot more than everybody else. And I, when I'm raising my arms, they're going to see it. And they're going to know how holy I am. If that's the, if that's the reason why you put on that, what you wear to, to a Sunday morning, then again, you're looking for the praise and the adoration of men. And then what we're wearing should, should not stand in the way of inhibiting others to worship God. Or the opposite extreme. Putting on shorts, t-shirt, flip-flops. I'm going to wear shorts, t-shirt, and flip-flops to church. And if you're looking in the mirror and you're going, I'm wearing this to church this morning because I want everybody to know you can worship God this way. I'm going to show everybody how to dress down. And, and that you don't have to get all dressed up. And that's why I'm wearing what I'm wearing. So that I could tell the people to dress down. Again, where's your heart? It's so that you'll be recognized by other people. But if God is calling you to wear shorts and a flip-flops and a t-shirt to church on Sunday and you feel comfortable with that, praise be to God. Might get a little cold in the winter, but praise be to God. You see, it's not what we wear on the outside that God is after. God is after our hearts. He wants a people to be a holy people whose hearts are set apart by God, by Him. And then what we do gives recognition and praise and glory to Him. And so when we look at this passage, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were like, hey, I want other people to see my dress so that they might know how holy I am and give me praise. But in the meantime, they're misdirecting the praise away from God. God should be the only one that's praised here. And then they go on. If, if the dress wasn't enough, Jesus gives them another category to deal with. They like the best seats at the, in the synagogues and the feasts. So there were times of festivals and feasting at the wedding if you held a wedding, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were given special seats within those feasts and those celebrations because you better honor them because they're the ones that are teaching you about what it is to obey the law and you don't want to hack them off. And they're going to get those best seats in the house. I mean, forget the bride and groom having the best seat in the house. They're like, you guys go sit in the corner. We've got the best seat in the house. They love that. They love that position. To be recognized and to be praised and to be glorified. They wanted everybody else to know them. You know, in the military, a good illustration of that is, you know, if we have a big dining in, this is our, our military dining ins or dining outs, where we invite our spouses and you come in and there's everything's elaborately set up and everything is very well placed and very purposeful. And at that head table, the highest ranking officer is placed all the way over here, the position of authority. And God help that young lieutenant who's planning that ceremony if he does not put that general in that right spot. 
He has earned that position of authority. Now, in the military, you might understand that better, but in the, when we think about in the faith world, we think about, you know what? Christ has commanded us that the last shall be first and the first shall be last, and that if we truly want to be a holy people, that the place of honor is given to the least of these. Broke my heart, even in seminary. I'd watch some newly graduated doctorate guys who enter into seminary to be professors, and it broke my heart to watch them and a student would come up and say, hey, Steve, I didn't, I didn't quite understand what your point was there. And he's like, that's doctor to you. Which brings us to our next point. The rabbis loved their titles and verbal recognition. Walking through the marketplaces, walking around town, you made sure to greet them. You didn't pass by the Pharisee or the scribe without greeting them, giving the greeting of the day. In the military, you do that as well, right? Every even officers you walk by, you if you fail to give the greeting of the day, you're going to be in trouble. And you salute to render honor. Well, these people loved that. They lived for that. That was what they got their bread. They, they enjoy, oh, that's right. And those that didn't give that right greeting, they, I'm pretty sure they set them straight. Don't you know who I am? I'm Rabbi so-and-so. You better treat me with the respect and authority I've earned. But God is saying, wait a minute, you're looking for the recognition and praise for man. You're not looking for people to praise me. Wouldn't it be great if Christians, every time they saw each other on the street, said, isn't God good? Every time we saw each other, isn't God good? Hey, I'm struggling right now, but things are going crazy in my life. But isn't God good? If that wasn't, that was the greeting which we greet each other? But we have a problem, like the rabbis do sometimes, in that we live for recognition. We live for recognition in the way we dress. We live for recognition in our positions and placement in society, even within the church. One thing you won't see here at Livingstone Church is assigned seating for elders or deacons. In fact, if my elders and deacons, if the house is full, isn't the first to get up and offer their seats, we're going to have a little chat later. Because to lead is to serve. Position should not mean that we sit here and live for ourselves, but even in the more position and more authority we have, we should be greater servants to those whom God has given us to serve. And finally, through titles. Rabbis and excuse me, the scribes and the Pharisees love their titles and love to be recognized. Jesus now turns from speaking about the Pharisees and the scribes. You go ahead and go to the next slide, Annalise, please. To talking directly to the crowds and the and the disciples, and he he says to them directly to them, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you are all brothers. Now, what in the world is going on here? But you are not to excuse me. You are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. So basically, the fact that Jesus is not saying never ever to use the term rabbi ever again. What was the problem with the Pharisees and the scribes? The problem with the Pharisees and the scribes is that they were loving the honor and they were loving the praise and they were called those things so that they might be recognized even more. He's saying to those disciples and he's saying to the crowds that 
when it comes to these religious titles, and rabbi is a religious title for a teacher of the law, don't be called these things for your glory and your praise, but if you are called these things, it better magnify and glorify the one true teacher who we have in heaven. When I first came to Livingstone, they, they asked me what I wanted to be called, um, reverend or pastor or you know, something else. And I was like, um, you know, if you have to call me anything, call me pastor because I view that kind of more as a relationship term. We're kind of in a relationship now versus, you know, reverend is more of like a ministerial title. And I was like, I'll just get a big head and you don't want me to have a big head. So let's not go with reverend. You know, as we look to religious leaders, it's okay to call pastors pastors. It's okay to have them called reverend as long as those titles continue to point to God has called Scott to be a pastor. And he's using his gifts for God's glory. And so in calling me that that term, we continue to give praise to God. And one of the hardest things, and I said it in first service, and afterwards somebody said, you're going to really regret saying that. Um, one of the hardest things for me, and talking before service with Glenn, he said it as well. It's a hard thing for us is, is to receive praise for what we do. Great, great time of music this morning or, or a great sermon, Scott. That's hard to receive because we're like, okay, um, we want your hearts and lives changed by Jesus Christ through music, through the saying of the creed, through the message, through the prayers. We want Jesus to reign in your heart and life. And we just want to be conduits. We just want to be agents of, of, of God's work in your lives. And not that you can't say that to us, but you might hear us challenge you a little bit if you do say it to us that, great, so how did God talk to your heart this morning? How did God minister? Because if it was good, then it, then it impacted you. It went after your heart. And that's what we desire more than anything. The, he also deals with another category here. Is he says, no one's to be called father. Because you have one father who is in heaven. Now, does that mean dads in the room, we can never be called father again? Or those who are going to become dads, you're never going to be called father? Because Jesus said no one can say father. Again, what is his point? This is why context is so important, folks. What is his point here? His point here is that, guess what? We don't live for titles and identity. You know, as Glenn and I were kind of talking about different folks in our community and different jobs people might have, we were like, okay, what is a job? in our community that everybody can identify with. Now, I'm pretty confident that every single one of us go to the grocery store. Anybody not go to the grocery store? Might have to find a different, okay. So everybody goes to the grocery store, right? So at the grocery store, you've got, you've got a clerk, and you've got a bagger, right? Person there helping out, right? And so you come up into the line. Now, could you imagine that clerk or the bagger, and they're living for their job and for recognition. And imagine what, what they would look like and how they would respond and act if they're living just purely for recognition. Okay? And, and, and so they, they might bring attention to how well they're checking you out. Man, I am a fast checker. Okay? They might be wearing, you know, a suit and tie neatly done and saying, I am the best dressed checker. Right? Or, or the bagger sitting there and saying, hey, I am bagging these groceries. Well, look at me. Hey, no. Stop looking at your checkbook. Stop looking at your, how, how much that thing's going up there. Just, just look at me because I'm, I'm bagging your groceries really well. 
And so you're sitting there going, well, that's kind of ridiculous, but that's the, that's the way the Pharisees and the, the scribes were living this out. And as you look at this, and you know, the, and imagine if they, this clerk and this beggar are like, man, I am a beggar. I am a clerk. That is my identity. I live for this. Now, most of us are sitting here saying, boy, if that's your identity, that, that's, oof. Right? Because we hopefully are living more for than a job. Even if you're a doctor or a lawyer, if you're saying, I am a doctor, I am a lawyer, and that is my identity, then you're, all of us should be going, oof, because because there's going to be bad days as a doctor, bad days as a lawyer, bad days as a banker, bad days as a business owner. There's going to be bad days, and if that is your identity, that's going to really stink. Well, guess what? Even as a father, and I'm telling you what, being a dad is probably... Hey, John, while well, you agree, but being a dad's amazing, right? It's just awesome. And I know my dad would say the same thing. My dad's here. Hey, dad, wave your hand. Wave your hand. Wave your hand. That's my dad. That's my dad. Okay. You know, would say it's amazing to be a father. It's absolutely wonderful to be a father. But if you're living for that identity instead of father being a role in your life, it's your identity, it's who you're living for, that will disappoint you, anger you, frustrate you, because the minute your kids mess up, your identity is going to get crushed or the minute your kids go off and do something you don't want or the minute you're living to be a husband and the minute your wife doesn't, your relationship gets a little rocky and you're starting to fight a little bit and all of a sudden your world starts to crumble because your identity is misplaced. You see, our identity is supposed to be in Jesus Christ, not as a religious teacher, not as a familial title like mom, dad, aunt, uncle, great-grandpa, Godfather, Godmother, all those titles, familial titles that we give people are roles that God has given us to play so that we can point all those that we're in relationship like that to God, to the Father. Because when we get to heaven someday, when we say Father, it's going to mean pretty sure one thing, the Heavenly Father. He goes on to talk about this instructor or teacher he uses a different terminology here than rabbi and this person is more one of of general instruction like a school teacher kind of idea that even in a school teacher kind of setting that our identity isn't just as a teacher of others but our identity is that there's one true teacher in jesus christ and he reveals all that we need to know and we live for him and then even in that title we understand that we are supposed to be pointing others to Jesus Christ's teaching and his instruction for our lives. But we live in a world with identity crisis. Think about it, especially us as men. You walk up to somebody, what's the first thing you ask? What do you do? What do you do, right? Because as men, that's how we usually start conversations. That's a safe question, okay? How's the weather? You know, what do you do for a living? Those are good safe questions to start a conversation, right? So, whereas ladies, they're much more daring sometimes. But, but men, we kind of keep it safe there. So, so, so as guys, we, we ask about what do you do? And that's, and we, I am, I am, fill in the blank. For some of us, it's students right now. I am a student. I am a construction worker. I am a chiropractor. I am a banker. I am a business owner. I am a medical provider, I am. And you could go, and we do it, I am. 
And I am, you know, a statement of being and that, you know, existence and all those wonderful things. And so we often, in our heads, we often living for those titles. I am a pastor. When we should be in our minds, even though we may say that, saying, you know what? My role in life right now is, because those things can change, my role in life is whatever. But my identity is a Jesus follower. I live to follow Jesus. And that's what the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees were not doing. And what does it look like? So, so if you're a clerk at the grocery store and you're living for Jesus and you're not living for recognition, you're not living for title, you're living for Jesus. When somebody walks up in your line and you're seeing that it's, it's 4th of July weekend, Memorial Day weekend, and the line's like, I mean, they've broken up the lines and they're now going down the aisles. You're having a hard time shopping because people are down the aisles. And that clerk looks down and says, praise God, job security. And, and you know, and it's going, you know, oh, and greeting each person and just being excited and saying, you know, hope you have a great weekend here. Hope you have a safe stay. Here's some wonderful things to do. Check these things out in the area. And the bagger's going, hey, can I help you out to your car? And they're seeing that you have fragiles. You're not putting the cantaloupe on top of the eggs, you know. And, they're, you know, they're separating the colds out. And they're, they're being observant and they're taking care of things and they're being joyful. And they're living not as the identity as a bagger or checker. They're living as identity as a Christian because that role of clerk or bagger means that you have the opportunity to show and demonstrate Jesus Christ so that if that person, you're walking that baggers, walking the person out to the car, helping them putting things in their car, and it's like two things, and you're recognizing this guy could really have carried this out himself. And, you know, walking it out there, put it in their car, the guy goes, you know, what's, you're, you're a little weird. You're really happy, and that's not a job that you should be really happy about. What's going on? Well, I'm a child of God, and, and since God is reigning in my heart and life, it means that I can do everything to his glory. And the guy goes, that makes sense. I get it. And so that when we're living out our kingdom lives, and that's what, that's what the Pharisees were supposed to do, and that's what the scribes were supposed to do, is live this way. But instead they were doing something different. And Jesus says some very strong statements. And we're going to go over the two statements right now. And I'm going to tell you, these are strong statements of warning. Verse 13. Go ahead and go to the last slide. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. This is the picture Jesus is painting. Now, we've been watching a little bit of zombie stuff in our household, okay? So imagine you're out there with a group of people and zombies are on the move. Now, if you're World War Z zombies, they're jumping up and down and moving all over the place. If you're the Walking Dead zombies, they're slowly coming at you in mob form. Anyways, there's coming, okay? Anyways, I just gave you zombie education there. You didn't know they were going to get that on a Sunday morning, did you? Okay. Anyways, you're out there with a group of people and, and they're coming for you, right? And there's this door to safety, steel building. There's no way they're ever going to get in there. And this is what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing. They would run ahead to the door. They've got the key to open the door. They slide the key in it. Instead of unlocking it, they lock it and swallow the key and turn around and smile and watch everybody get devoured. It's the picture he's painting. That the life that the Pharisees and the scribes were living, even though they proclaimed it, their lives that they were living were 
we're ushering people to the gates of hell. Because Jesus had never changed their heart. They'd never surrendered their heart and life to Jesus. He wasn't changing their life. They weren't living out the truth of the word. They were just proclaiming it, but their lives demonstrated that they were not believers. If the people around us were to begin to speak into our lives today, right now, if we were to begin to bring in our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, and we were to sit them in here, and I'd start asking them about you and asking them about me, would we be those people that have ran ahead instead of running ahead like Christians are supposed to do and leading people to Jesus Christ? We've locked the door because of our actions and people are not ourselves not even wanting to go in. We've kept other people from going in. Are we running ahead? And we're saying, follow me. Jesus saved me from my sin and from my brokenness. And he, he went... Come follow me to salvation. Come follow me to safety. Come follow me to security. And we're running ahead and we're opening that door. And we're saying by our actions and by our speech, Jesus is king and he's calling you to safety. Run through this door with me and enter the kingdom of heaven. Pharisees and scribes were preventing people from knowing who God was by their actions. Jesus is great at driving home the point. He goes on to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. Proselyte is a Jewish convert. Okay, Back in those days, a Gentile could become part of the Jewish religion by becoming obedient to the law and by becoming men who became circumcised. And, and they could become part of the Jewish religion, and that was called a proselyte, a convert. Your text may say convert. And when he becomes a proselyte or convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. What in the world is Jesus getting at here? Why haven't they become part of the Jewish religion? The religion doesn't save. Jesus saves. Having your heart and life changed by Jesus Christ saves. God is calling his people to be a holy people. You see, one thing we need to understand, brothers and sisters, is that every single one of us in this room is discipling. Discipling your children, neighbors, friends, coworkers. You're all discipling someone. You're all teaching someone. Who are they you teaching them to follow? You or the one true God? You see, the Pharisees and the scribes were calling people to follow them. Be like me. I've got this all figured out. We as parents have said these things. I've said these things. Be like me. Do it like me. Haven't you seen me do this? And I'm discipling my children unto myself, not unto God. You see, it's so much easier to be like the Pharisees and the scribes here to write a bunch of list of rules on the walls and say, obey this rule, obey that rule, obey this rule, obey that rule, obey this rule. It's much harder to parent, to disciple others to a change of heart where one wants to pursue Jesus, not obey a list of rules, but have a heart changed by Jesus that might follow him in every aspect of life. And disciple people towards Jesus, not ourselves. 
Who are you discipling people towards this morning? How does your life reflect your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you proclaim the gospel? And live the gospel? Live out the life of being a child of God in such a way that when people see your lives and they hear of your faith, they're going, that makes sense. Or are we running ahead and locking the doors? And keeping people from wanting to pursue God because of our life and our actions. Oh, Jesus was speaking to the five scribes and Pharisees, but it doesn't take us long to realize that as we are going through this morning, this passage this morning, that we ourselves are people that by our actions have led people not to Jesus, but away from him. We've struggled with identity, identifying ourselves with this world. We've struggled with living for recognition, and that's so hard. We want to hear good job, don't we? We want to know what we're doing as well, right? I mean, we, we have some wonderful actors in our room, and after the performance, if somebody steps up to you and says, you know, it's a horrible performance, you're like, ouch, that hurts, right? We want to hear good job. But we do we want to receive that praise and say and, and give acknowledgement to the God in heaven. Now, there's I've heard people say, well, it's all God, right? It's all God. You know, you're like, ah, are you really being, you know? But doing it in a genuine way that says, you know what? I want God to be glorified. And if it, hopefully it ministered to your heart and God was praised this morning. You know, those kind of things. Because we want to continue to give God the praise. And the coolest thing is each one of you have been given vital roles to play in our valley, in our community. God has placed you where he has placed you for his glory. So that as Darren's handling mortgages, you know, and he's interacting with customers, exemplifying the glory to God. As my mom and dad are retired, driving around and, and, and being going between me and my brother, and believe me, we check it very closely if it's evenly split time, okay? We've got a calendar down to the minute, Okay? But as they're going back, as they're spending time with Justin, as they're spending time with us, the, the communities that they're ministering, that are they exemplifying the glory of God to them? We have so many different occupations and roles in this room. Even as a child, I don't want you to miss this, for our students in the room, as a child, you're given a very powerful powerful witness and testimony that in how you respond to adults shouldn't be law-driven where you say good morning or hi or because we're beating you up with the law, but so that you might understand that God wants you to have a heart that desires to obey him, and so you're full of joy, so surrendering to the authorities over you isn't hard to do, but it's something that's joyful to do. I know being a kid's hard. I was once a kid. I still am a kid. My parents will they'll tell you it's very hard for me sometimes. I'm still that rebellious child sometimes. You're having a hard time imagining that. I know. <laughs> but bottom line, folks, is who are we identifying ourselves? And are we living that identity out in our everyday life so that others might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you. 
I thank you for the warnings that you give us in Scripture and that we need to be a people that hear these warnings and then we let the Scriptures powerfully change our hearts. We might be a people that confess and repent and persevere. In Jesus' name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.